that idea of trust, obviously for me, born out of my military experience, translates perfectly to every other professional setting that I've been in. Um, and I think that we see this playing out broadly in society right now as we think about um, coming out of COVID a little bit, coming out of pandemic and this, the argument about return to work. Part of that argument, particularly for leaders who are um, really insistent about bringing people back to the office, it's an argument about trust. Like if I can't see you, if I can't touch you, then how do I know that you're working? When the reality is, unless you're standing over somebody in their office down the hall, you're still not sure what they're doing. And so it, without, without really um, dialing, dialing into the purpose beyond, behind, uh, for instance, a return to work policy, we're not, we're not operating with trust. In her book, Conversational Intelligence, Judith Glasser wrote, to get to the next level of greatness depends on the quality of our culture, which depends on the quality of our relationships, which depends on the quality of our conversations. Everything happens through conversations. Welcome to Conversations, powered by Quantivos. Welcome to this episode of Conversations. I'm Brian Gorman, your host and a Quantivos coach. And my guest is Ben Grimes, founder and coach of BKG Leadership Coaching. Welcome, Ben. Good morning, Brian. Thank you for having me. Ben, I want to start with something that you say on your website that really resonated with me and with the type of messaging that I think we at, at Quantivos also seek to deliver. Leaders are special because they unlock potential and inspire greatness in others, develop amazingly powerful teams, and reach goals that seem unattainable. What led you onto a leadership path? So, Brian, my leadership journey started um, pretty young in college, a little bit before college. I went to West Point, the United States Military Academy, and was a cadet there for uh, a little over four years, which is not typical. Um, my time there was interrupted because I got suspended for an honor code violation. And that happened pretty early in my career. And what I realized uh, coming to grips with my own conduct and my own the, the setback that I had created for my own career very early on in my uh, adult life, um, as I came to grips with that, I was able to work with and learn from leaders myself who took care of me and showed me what my potential was, showed me how to take that experience and use it to create something new and better and more powerful um, as a way to talk to people and understand people and connect with people who are, growing, who are also going through challenges in their lives. And out of that experience, I grew as a leader and, and like to think that I became a very successful team builder and um, kind of mission executor throughout 
the rest of my career. And it didn't happen overnight, for sure. But I think the seeds of that sentiment, that absolute belief that leaders empower others and create trust and open up opportunities for things that don't seem attainable today, that's where, that's where those seeds were planted. Before we started recording, I mentioned that I was a drill sergeant in the Air Force. Yes. And you just brought to mind an experience that I had back then. We would identify student leaders uh, amongst each group of trainees. And you'd watch for leadership potential early on, and, and you'd work to, um, again, mentor and, and coach those individuals into becoming successful leaders. We had one such leader who suddenly one day, the military police showed up to arrest uh, for fraudulent enlistment. He had been convicted of armed robbery and he was the dorm chief. He wasn't even a squad leader. He was the leader of leaders in this particular group. And rather than judge him based on his misrepresentation, based on his lying in his enrollment, um, went, went to visit him in the lockup, quite literally, and uh, hear his story. And his story was that he had been out driving around with a bunch of friends, and he was the driver. They stopped at a gas station and his friends came running out having robbed the gas station. Both the uh, other training instructor that I was working with it at the time and I testified at his trial. And we were able to convince them that the record would be sealed unless he got in trouble again. And he successfully completed his enlistment in the Air Force. So exactly what you're saying, leaders are about taking people where they are, accepting where they are, and helping them become what they can become. Absolutely. And, and I think that your example is, is an amazing one because it really speaks to the not just the direct result and impact of your leadership in that situation, but I imagine the ripples of your actions were profound, not just with this trainee who trusted you, who, uh, who uh, going forward is going to have himself um, an experience that he can lean on to help him understand and work with other folks who are in challenging situations, but also all of the other trainees in that cohort see the care, compassion, empathy, and the, the, the deliberate action that you took to look beyond the, to look beyond what's on the surface, to really connect with this person. And that example is not just for you and for him, it's for everybody else who gets to see that. That's, a, that's an amazing story. 
I want to pick up on some of the words you use because I also picked up on these words on your website. Lead with trust, transparency, empathy, and passion. Those are not always words we associate with leadership. They're certainly not words we associate with a, an individual who spent a career in the military as a leader. What brought you to the recognition that trust, transparency, empathy, passion are important pieces of leadership? I think two things. Um, one, the study of leadership. Um, throughout, throughout both my, my career in the Army and since then, I've studied leaders, sometimes in formal leadership development classes, sometimes on my own because I really enjoy like the, the nerding out on becoming a better leader. Um, so the learning and the experience and those two things together, as, as I think about what worked for me in my, uh, for me as a leader, for me experiencing experiencing leaders and for me synthesizing what I was learning in formal classes, those are the those those were the through lines for me. Um, particularly and, and I think it's easy to see some of these things in a military setting. You you can't operate in a military setting without absolute trust for the folks that you're working beside and the folks that you're following. Trust is fundamental to making military leadership work. And that may seem counterintuitive to folks who have never served in the military. Um, but as you and I were talking about before we uh, hit record, um, leadership is not just uh, giving orders. Um, it's, ex it's expressing the leader's intent and inspiring action in furtherance of that intent. Because the leader can't be there to like, slap people on the back with a stick and say, keep going, keep going, keep going. And that idea of trust, obviously for me, born out of my military experience, translates perfectly to every other professional setting that I've been in. Um, and I think that we see this playing out broadly in society right now as we think about um, coming out of COVID a little bit, coming out of pandemic and this, the argument about return to work Part of that argument, particularly for leaders who are um, really insistent about bringing people back to the office, it's an argument about trust. Like if I can't see you, if I can't touch you, then how do I know that you're working? When the reality is, unless you're standing over somebody in their office down the hall, you're still not sure what they're doing. And so it, without, without really um, dialing dialing into the purpose beyond, behind, uh, for instance, a return to work policy, we're not, we're not operating with trust. And, and, and so all of those things, trust, transparency, empathy, passion, all of those things really are the synthesis of both my learning and my experience. What I heard on the other end of that back to office argument is, wait, you trusted me for a year, a year and a half, two years? And now you don't trust me anymore. If I wasn't being trustworthy in March, April, May of 2020, why am I still on the payroll? The other side of 
leadership that you talk about on your website is serving clients with grace and integrity. Can you talk more about what that means? I'll start with integrity because I, I think that's a little bit easier concept to, to, uh, to express. And for me, serving clients with integrity, whether that's coaching clients or legal clients, and, and for, for my clients, it's their clients, right? I, I think the idea of service is to be done with grace and integrity. And the integrity piece is understanding what your values are, being really, really being clear about them and accepting them and embracing them and then acting in accordance with them. And that's one of the challenges that I see, particularly in the law firms that I work with. And I don't work exclusively with law firms, but, but that's my primary demographic. But law firms and other, and other organizations, big and small, will have a website and post their organizational values. And you look at it and you say, wow, that's amazing. Like teamwork and uh, work-life balance and integrity. And that the website values can be very inspiring, but if there's no alignment between those values and organizational policies and practices and actual conduct on the ground, um, that's a lack of integrity. And so when I, when I talk about integrity, it's, a, it's an alignment between my values and my organizational values and how I operationalize those and put those into practice and, and really make them, bring them to life for my clients. The grace piece is um, everybody deserves respect. And certainly my clients will get the best of me. But operating with grace also means that they will see me treating other people with respect as well. In the legal community, which is pretty well known for having adversarial relationships between competing parties. And, and, and maybe that's a, a mild, a mild way to put it. Lawyers are known to be jerks sometimes. And there is a movement afoot across the legal profession to emphasize professionalism, which, which is different from legal ethics and regulatory requirements, but this idea of professionalism and treating other people with dignity, that, that's, what the, that's what I want my clients, that's what my clients will see from me, is that I will treat them certainly, but everybody that we interact with, they'll see me interact with them with dignity. Ben, as you think about leadership, my sense, and, and I'm hearing this more and more from others, is that COVID really was a catalyst for a fundamental redefining of the workplace, the work experience, um, how people live their lives and where work fits into that. What thoughts do you have about what it takes or what it's going to take to successfully lead into really a, a, a new 
world of work. I think you're right, Brian, that the pandemic accelerated the pace of change that was afoot. But I think that's something that had been happening prior to. And I think it boils down to a recognition that there are opportunities beyond the block that I live on, so to speak. As the world gets bigger, as, as we become more interconnected, you know, in, in the 40s and 50s, if I wanted a job, I went down to the grocer and hopefully the grocer had a job for me. And I took whatever grief I had to, to maintain that job because I couldn't afford to uh, commute five miles, 10 miles away to find another grocer's job. As technology changed, as communication changed, as the interconnectability of business changed, those opportunities became more and more easy to access. And that means the folks who hold the keys to employment, the leaders of, uh, of those or, uh, in, in companies, the folks who hold the keys to employment have to adjust the way they work with their employees. And they have to think about um, what the conditions of employment look like. And up until now, the conditions of employment were how nice is the office? What's the pay look like? Uh, and things like that. And, you know, shortly before pandemic, we had this big push to make work life very as, as comfortable as possible. Free coffee, free snacks, on-site dinners and lunches and, you know, things that were going to keep you here and keep you working. Um, but now, again, pandemic has accelerated that rate of change. And the other condition of life that we've grown to appreciate in new ways because we're able to is a closer connection with who we are as individuals. And, and by that, I mean, what's usually referred to as work-life balance, uh, but it's, it's connecting to who we are as individuals and what's important to us as individuals. And leaders going forward are going to have to recognize that, understand how to empathize with that and inspire the relationship between the employee and the organization. I just read an article this week about the reduced lack of a reduced rate of engagement for young attorneys at law firms. And to me, engagement equals relationship with the organization. A lack of engagement means they're not engaged with the organization and Lawyers who are not leaders who are not able to connect with empathy to the employees in, in a situation like that are going to continue to see reduced engagement. And that's going to continue to drive turnover, which is, um, you know, a, a business cost that is completely avoidable um, to a certain degree. And they're going to continue to, to, to let well be the well-being of their employees kind of flitter away because they're not paying attention to it that brings to mind two important uh, messages if you will for me uh, going back to your earlier statement about passion if i'm passionate about what i'm doing i'm engaged yes 
there is no question about it. I'm, I'm not leaving. I'm not um, looking for work elsewhere. I'm not uh, sitting at my desk so you think that I'm busy. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm passionate. I'm engaged. And so a piece of that from a leader's perspective is, am I hiring people whose passion aligns with why we are here as an organization? Right. And that's, and, and I think that starts with understanding, understanding why we're here as an organization. Now, am I aligning as a leader, what I'm asking them to do with their passion and the, the other important piece of the message for me is, am I helping them see the line of sight between what they're doing and why we're here as an organization? Yes. So each of those elements, I think, really are incumbent from the leader, whether it is the leader at the top of the organization or the leader of the front line. Yes, absolutely. And, and that last piece about where the leader sits in, or in the organization, I think is a critical one for folks to, to think about because the relevant leader is not necessarily the person who's got their name on their office that says, I am the leader of this unit, of this organization, of this practice group, of this office. The, there's a difference between authority and influence. And leaders, I think good leaders, operate with influence it's very easy but ultimately less effective and less efficient to operate re relying exclusively on authority and when we can leverage influence at all levels that means that we can uh, effectuate change inspire action deliver for our clients even when we're not in positions of authority and it's especially important to understand that idea of authority versus influence when we're working in dynamic and uh, in, in dynamic relationships and dynamic teams. So that brings me to one more point that I really feel is important for us to talk about. Leaders have followers. Leadership is not the position you hold. It's the influence you have. Absolutely. And so how do you know who the leaders are in an organization if you can't look at the org chart? I guess it depends on where, who's asking the question, who's looking, who's looking for the leader? Because the folks who are in follower positions the leader is going to be obvious. That will be obvious. And I think even for folks who are sitting at the top of an organization, finding the folks with influence is sometimes as easy as just paying attention to who's talking, who's, who's raising issues on behalf of the other, the next tier, that's your leader, regardless of what position they sit in, regardless of what office they, they sit in, that's your leader. Who's speaking on behalf of their peers, on behalf of the, the, the next tier below them? 
leaders are looking out for other people. They're not looking out for themselves. They, they take care of themselves for sure. But in, but in terms of you know, where we started, leaders are building other people up. The people who, the, the folks who are articulating concerns and advocating for other people, those are your leaders. And so it really is pretty easy to, to, to identify those folks if we're asking the right questions and if we're open to, uh, to listening to who's talking to us. I would add one caveat to that. Yeah. Which it takes us full circle. If you don't have an environment of trust. Yes. They may be speaking, but they're not going to speak up. Yeah. No, I, I think that's right. I think that's, that's right. And if it, that ties back, I think, directly to the question that you just asked, how do you know who they are? Well, you're not going to know who, you, who they are unless you've taken the steps to create an environment of trust. And so before you ask who your leaders are, first spend some time, effort, and deliberate action on establishing or creating an environment of trust. If you don't have that, then, then you can ask all the questions and look all you want. Uh, and, and you're not going to find any leaders, and then you're going to be really disappointed. Um, but, it, but it really starts with that culture and environment of trust. And that doesn't mean they're not there. It that means you're not going to find there. them. That's right. That's right. <laughs> ben, any other thoughts on um, our topic of, of leadership, but also on the broader topic of who do you choose to become? Yeah. When we think about who's a leader and, and we think about whether or not we individually are leaders or can be leaders, I, I really think it's important to remember that leadership is not something you're born into. It's not something that you have a gene for or don't. It really is um, a skill and a mindset and a being that can be learned. It's certainly something that I learned growing up. I, I was not um, born into auspicious means. Um, and, and folks who want to see more about, about my history can check out the, the website. Um, but I, I wasn't somebody who you would think was going to grow up to be a leader. And I absolutely did do that. And so when we think about when, when folks out there are thinking about who they want to be, they're allowed to be whoever they want. And if they choose to want to be a leader, all it takes is a deliberate choice and then deliberate action to grow the skills and the mindset and assume the being of a leader because it isn't, it isn't where you sit and it isn't what your title is. It's who you are. It's not, it's not hard. Um, but it does take deliberate action and deliberate support. And sometimes you have to look for that support. Um, but all it takes is one step after the next. And the first step is just deciding that you want to do something bigger. Ben Grimes, I've got nothing to add to that. <laughs> Thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you. I really enjoyed it, Brian. I really did.